Nehemiah 9, starting verse 32, says, And now our God, the great and mighty and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of unfailing love, do not let all the hardships we have suffered seem insignificant to you. Great trouble has come upon us and upon our kings and leaders and priests and prophets and ancestors, all of your people, from the days when the kings of Assyria first triumphed over us until now. Every time you punished us, you were being just, as we have sinned greatly, and you gave us only what we deserved. Our kings, leaders, priests, ancestors, they did not obey your law and listen to the warnings and your commands and laws. And even while they had their own kingdom, they did not serve you, though you showered your goodness on them. You gave them a large, fertile land, but they refused to turn from their wickedness. Focus text for today, verse 36. So now today, we are slaves in the land of plenty that you gave our ancestors for their enjoyment. We are slaves here in this good land. I'm gonna preach to you this morning from this title, Slaves in the Land of Plenty. And you may be seated. Between the years 2002 and 2004, there were three young ladies who disappeared from the streets of Cleveland, Ohio. Michelle was 21 years old, Amanda was 16 years old, and Georgina was 14 years old. Some thought that Michelle was simply a troubled young lady that had run away. Some thought that Amanda tragically was murdered, and some thought Georgina was kidnapped. She was featured on America's Most Wanted, but eventually it was suspected that she was murdered as well. The families were obviously devastated, and the news of each girl was widely broadcasted. But weeks and months went by, and the news of the girls faded, and for many, so did their memory. As the years went by, life returned back to normal for most. And even those who helped conduct searches or attended vigils eventually gave up and continued with their day-to-day life. They would come and go down the streets of Cleveland with not much thought for Michelle, Amanda, or Georgina. Then, in 2013, 10 years after the disappearance of these three girls, there was a woman named Angel Cordero who was walking by her neighbor's house in their historic Tremont neighborhood. And that day, she heard something she never heard before from her neighbor's house. She heard strange yelling. She heard screaming coming from inside the neighbor's house. Another neighbor, uh, Charles Ramsey, approached the house, and he broke through the door. And there, they discovered that day, not 16-year-old Amanda, but now 27-year-old Amanda and a young six-year-old that was discovered to be her daughter. They helped Amanda call 911, and she said, help me, I've been kidnapped. I've been missing for 10 years, and I'm here, and I'm free now. 
The officers, they arrived, they entered the home, guns drawn, and they peeked into a slightly open bedroom door where now 31-year-old Michelle jumped into the officer's arms, repeatedly saying, you saved me, you saved me. And soon afterwards, little 14-year-old Georgina, now 24 years old, was also found in the same house. It was soon discovered that a very evil man named Ariel Castro had kidnapped all three girls and took them to his home. For 10 years, these three women endured unimaginable torture and abuse. They were literally slaves, treated like animals, chained to the walls, always missing the lives they once lived, always desiring freedom from their captivity. What's so hard to comprehend is that in the midst of the hustle and bustle of one of our American cities, a land of plenty, if you will, today, these three women were living like slaves. That all changed that one fortunate day when Ariel Castro mistakenly dropped his guard. He failed to lock a large inside door that allowed Amanda to call out for help. Now understand, this story really is quite disturbing. And my goal is not to instill fear or worry into your life today. Um, But I'm so thankful that this story ended with the discovery of these three uh, women and the capture, the prosecution of a very evil man who has since died in prison. Now, you may wonder, how is it possible for three young women to be held slaves in a neighborhood here in the United States for 10 years without anyone Ever knowing. Now, sadly, this is a tragic reality in many cities across North America right now. Estimated numbers of 15,000 to 50,000 human slaves being held against their will in our great land of plenty. As a father of three and with two daughters of my own, this is a parent's worst nightmare. And this, re- this reality breaks my heart. I was praying, I was reading my Bible one morning this past May, and I came across our opening text in Nehemiah 9.36, which reads, so now, today, we are slaves in the land of plenty, that you gave your ancestors for their enjoyment. We are slaves here in this good land. After I read that verse, I felt the Lord was impressing me that sadly, This is a picture of the reality for some apostolics in North America. Felt the Lord initially gave me this message to preach to our students at our teen and senior camps in Georgia. But yesterday afternoon when pastor contacted me, I took time to pray and I felt the Lord really prompting me to share a version of that message with our church today. I'm so thankful today for every son and daughter of Jesus Christ who's been purchased with the blood of our heavenly father. Amen. I'm so thankful for the church and this church, the body of Jesus Christ, who was also purchased with his blood. Every month we see a world missions report. We appreciate brother John Turner bringing this to us like this 
report from last month. I'm, I'm reminded that our church is blessed beyond measure on here. Stories of countries like Haiti, Haiti that are so impoverished. But we in Atlanta West and in North America, we're so full of biblical truth. And our churches are full of Holy Ghost power and full of miracles. We're also full of, of blessing, of provision, of resources and modern conveniences. Amen. I'm also so thankful that we live in the United States of America. And while the United States is far from perfect and needs our prayers, I still believe that this is the greatest country in the world. Amen? It's a place where for now we, we still have civil rights and liberties, freedom of religion to worship when and how we choose. I want to paint a very quick picture to help remind someone that right now you are living in a land of plenty, amen? Compared to so many around the world and the poor spiritual and physical conditions that they live in, you are living in a land of plenty. And I also want to remind our church, this great church, that the leadership of this church loves and believes in you. And we want the very best for our people, for our church, for our families, and for the kingdom of God. I'm so thankful for many of you who are giving your very best to God, and you're putting him first in all that you do. So many of our members are incredibly faithful to church, and you give sacrificially, and you selflessly serve. But I felt to preach this word to someone who today, who just may be living below the standard that God has for them. Someone who's living below their God-given spiritual potential. Someone who needs something awakened inside of them. Maybe someone here today who has a, a dormant gift from God that needs to be stirred up in your life. And someone who needs a fire of passion to be renewed and ignited within them. I want to remind you of what the word of God says in Ephesians 3.20, that now all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power to work within us, to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Amen. And through his power, there is more. Amen. Church, we haven't even scratched the surface of the potential that we all have in Jesus Christ. His power, his ability, his resources are without end. Amen. God's got more in store for you, my brothers. Amen. He's got more in store for you, my sisters, for our students of this church, for our families. He has more in store. Amen. Our opening scripture is found in the book of Nehemiah, and it takes us to the end of the historical account of the Old Testament. And the book of Nehemiah, it can be divided into two parts. And the first part is a very fascinating story of an amazing building project, the reconstruction of the walls of Jerusalem. The walls of Jerusalem were destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar in 586 BC, and Nehemiah he begins to pray on behalf of his people, and he secures King Artaxerxes' permission and provision, protection for the massive project of rebuilding the walls. 
As the great story tells us, he inspects the walls. He challenges the people to rise up and to build. Like we have recently done in Imagine, and our church, thank God, has answered that call in this season of growth and revival. Amen? But despite opposition from without and abuse from within, that task was completed in only 52 days. Something that had been attempted but not accomplished in the past 94 years of their history. It's pretty incredible because we know that if God is really for us, who can be against us? Amen. And by obedient faith, they were able to overcome what appeared to be insurmountable opposition. But Nehemiah and his contemporary Ezra, they knew that just focusing on the construction of the physical wall, on the external, was not enough for the survival of God's people. They knew that they had to do something more with the internal. They knew that the people of God had to be called to a season of consecration, a renewal of covenant with God so they could survive and they could succeed. And I want someone here today to, to recognize that while you may have spent time to build up and to work on that which is seen, the external of your life, I believe God is calling us to continue to work on that which is unseen, the internal of our lives. Amen? We also, as a church in this season, need to dig a little bit deeper as we imagine together, as we build the physical walls of this local assembly. We're doing as our pastor has referenced in Isaiah 54 2. We're enlarging our tents, amen. We're stretching the curtains of our dwellings, the external. But therefore, we must lengthen our cords. We must strengthen our stake spiritually, which is the internal, amen. That's why the, the entire second half of the book of Nehemiah is all about the spiritual restoration of God's people. Read how Ezra, he begins to address the children of Israel. And he starts off with this uh, summarizing prayer, recounting the past history of the children of Israel. He goes way back, all the way to the beginning, about how God chose Abram their ancestor from the Ur of the Chaldeans and renamed him Abraham. And then he tells of how when God, uh, excuse me, when Abram had proved himself faithful, God made a covenant agreement with him to give him and the descendants the promised land, a land of plenty, if you will. Abraham and his descendants, they would live securely in the land of plenty as long as they were faithfully and obediently committed to God's word. But Ezra went on to describe the faithfulness of God over the years that followed and how God even saved their people from a captivity in Egypt with miraculous signs and wonders. But sadly, time and time again, the children of Israel were proud, and stubborn. They eventually became complacent, content. They would stop paying attention to God's commands. They would refuse to obey and did not remember the miracles God had done for them. They would allow the ungodly influences, the practices, the lifestyles of those in the land to come in close proximity to them. And as a result, 
They began to embrace the ungodly culture around them and turning them to a lifestyle of sin. This began a very dangerous pattern that many Christians fall into today. It starts with a cycle of initial obedience to God, which would be followed by the blessings and the favor of God because God is faithful to his word. Amen. But then it would be followed by disobedient to the covenant process, promise that they made with God. And then it eventually would bring correction and destruction to their people. Now, I just want to throw in to point out that here that when some experience opposition in their life, they always view it and only view it as an attack from the enemy. But as we were reminded in this story, the reason the children of Israel put in this position in the first place was a result of their own actions and sin. So there's times that you need to pray for protection, amen? But then sometimes you need to pray a prayer of forgiveness and realize that your predicament is a result of your own poor decisions, amen? This biblical account of of Israel's downfall. It reminds me of a very true and interesting story by Wayne Cordero in a book called Jesus, Pure and Simple. And it's a fascinating story. It was about a certain primitive African tribe. And they were attempting to catch ducks on a nearby river. Now, ordinarily, ducks were too swift and cautious to even allow the most clever hunter among them to get close. But driven by hunger and over time, the tribesmen, they tried one method after another to capture the ducks, but to no avail. So they observed the ducks' behavior and nature. And one brilliant tribesman finally came up with the perfect solution, one that was very unorthodox, and it involved pumpkins. That's right. I said pumpkins. They were trying to catch ducks with pumpkins. But what they did was they would place several pumpkins in the river upstream and they allowed them to float down towards the flock of ducks. And the cautious ducks at first were startled by the sight of the pumpkins and they would fly away. But when the pumpkins had passed by, however, they would return to their usual place in the river. Again, the pumpkins would be released upstream and again, when they come towards them, the ducks would scatter. They would do this over and over again until one day the ducks no longer flew away. But now they simply and cautiously watched as the pumpkins carefully floated among them and by them. They began to tolerate the sight and the presence of the pumpkins as something that was normal now and commonplace life on the river. And what they initially tolerated, eventually the ducks accepted as normal. and They stopped noticing them at all. When the hunters were confident that the ducks were no longer mindful of the pumpkins, they hollowed out the pumpkins. It's a true story. They placed them over their heads and they waded out in the river amongst the ducks, the accepting flocks of ducks. And the hunters captured them, simply pulling them under one duck at a time. I'm afraid that in our culture, it's been far too easy for the enemy to release and to deliver a constant stream of temptation 
an ungodly influence to the believers. Amen. The average disciple of Jesus Christ can't help but get bombarded day in and day out at school and colleges and work and around town. But then we get self-inflicted bombardment through media and social media and other forms of worldly entertainment. And what initially may have caused a believer to turn away, to flee youthful lust as we're instructed in the word of God, to feel conviction or to feel shame has now become something that has been tolerated and commonplace in our lives. And that constant exposure to the stream of sin and worldliness has caused many to not only tolerate its existence, but for some to accept it and to embrace it in their lives and in their family. Amen. But hear me today. When you drop your defenses, when you drop your spiritual guard, you are allowing the enemy to get into position to influence your spirit, your values, your life, your thoughts, your behaviors. Amen. And cause you to sin and to pull you down. That's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6.12, I will not be brought under the power of any other but Christ. Amen. Church, I challenge us today to not allow the influence of this world to become commonplace in our lives and in our families. Not to let the cares of this life to influence our decisions and to distract us from our God-given purpose. If we're not careful, we can become like those in Matthew 23, 27, who were told that they were like whitewashed tombs. They were beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. Outwardly, they looked like righteous people, but inwardly, their hearts were filled with lawlessness and hypocrisy. But we remember that the Lord does not see as man sees, amen. Man looks on the outward, but the Lord, he looks at the heart. The church, once again, we, we find ourselves in a time and place in church history and world history where we are abundantly blessed, living in a land of plenty. And we have every spiritual resource at our fingertips with the potential to be equipped with the supernatural spiritual gifts to equip the saints, as the Bible says, for the work of ministry, for building up the church and edifying the Bible. We have the potential, as the Bible says in Mark 16, to cast out demons, to speak with new tongues, to take up serpents, to drink anything deadly, and to lay hands on the sick who shall recover. Amen. Yet despite all this spiritual power and potential, there are some who are still living as slaves in the land of plenty. Amen. But hear me today, church, that is not the life that God has called you to live. Amen. He is calling us to live a life of freedom. Amen. He's calling us as a church to live a life of victory, to be an overcomer. Amen. With greater calling and purpose. He's calling us to be light in the darkness, to be a spiritual influencer, amen, to be disruptors of darkness. And today, he's calling us to rise above old limitations of this world and to walk in newness of life. In Luke 15, 
11 through 32. It's another story, the well-known story of the parable of the prodigal son. He's living in a situation. It seems to be comparable to living in a land of plenty. But this younger son, he wanted his share of the estate from his father. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings. He moves off to a distant land, and there he wasted all his money in wild living. But the Bible tells us that at his lowest point, he came to himself. He came to his senses. He had a God moment, and that is when he returned back home. But I want you to hear this today, this common story, that even though he showed back up to the father's house, he still thought that there was not too much hope for redemption. He decided to settle, to just be like a servant, like a slave at his father's house of plenty, if you will. The prodigal son, he said this, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, but I'm no longer worthy being called your son because of what he had done. He's letting the, the actions and the decisions of his life define who he was and who he could be. But because he took the time to repent and because he came to his senses, his father restored this young man, not as a servant, but the Bible says as a son. John 8, 34 to 36 reminds us that Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. That everyone who sins is a slave of sin. But a slave, it is not a permanent member of the family. Amen. But a son or a daughter is part of the family forever. So if the son has set you free, you, church, are truly free. Amen. So thankful for the mercy of God. And I feel like... There may be someone here in the house today that may just feel like that prodigal son. Even though you are here, you're here in the father's house because of your sin, because of poor decisions, because of your mistakes. You let the enemy tell you that you will never be good enough. You'll never be whole. That You'll never be restored. You're in the father's house You've been coming to the Father's house for quite some time. But because of years of complacency or inactivity, the enemy has lied to you and told you that things will never change in your life. You're convinced that you will never be used by God. That the calling and the ministry that he once spoke into your life will never come to pass. But I'm here today to preach, church. Don't listen to the lies of enemy. But I'm here to declare today that you can live in the freedom and the power and the anointing of Jesus Christ. Amen. Isaiah 61 and 1 reminds us that the spirit of the Lord God is upon me on Jesus Christ because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty, amen, liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, amen. Thank you, Jesus for your freedom and the liberty and the power that we have in you. Amen. I want to take just another moment 
as our musicians return today, to remind someone else that, that Jesus Christ, he really is here today. He is alive and well. He is a risen Savior. And I want you to be reminded that he does have the power to forgive you and to save you from your sins. If you will take the time today to pray a prayer of repentance, which is simply turning away from sin and asking God to forgive you, the Bible says that he, Jesus Christ, is faithful and just to forgive you. He will forgive you today of all of your sins, no matter how great or small. Amen? But then the Bible says that you must be baptized. And when you're baptized, you need to be immersed and go under that water. Amen. And someone needs to call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, just as they were instructed and demonstrated in the New Testament. Amen. We do this because the Bible tells us that repentance and baptism in the name of Jesus Christ, it is for the remission. It's for the removal of all of your sins. And finally, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen. The Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. First, it's because Jesus Christ said in John 3, 5, that unless one is born of the water, which is baptism in Jesus' name, and unless one is born of the Spirit, which is the infilling of the Holy Ghost, Jesus himself said, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. But second, the reason you need the Holy Spirit is because you cannot live an overcoming life as a believer without the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of you. Amen. No doubt you will fall back into a life of sin and slavery, but the Holy Ghost will give you the power to live right, to walk right, to talk right. Amen. Are there any witnesses here today that can testify of the overcoming power of Jesus Christ? Amen. When you apply the gospel of Jesus Christ to your life, Romans 6, 6 reminds us of this truth. We know that our old sinful cells were crucified with Christ so that that sin is going to lose its power in our lives. And we are no longer slaves to sin. Amen. Can we stand together and thank the Lord for his mercy and his hope and his help in our lives today? God, I thank you today. And just like the prodigal son, just like the children of Israel did in the book of Nehemiah, I pray that the word of God and the power of the Holy Ghost would help someone, as the Bible says, come to their senses today call you to renewal of some spiritual commitments or maybe for the very first time. The book of Nehemiah ends with an amazing, beautiful display of the children of Israel doing just that. Display of such hunger and sincerity. The Bible says that they stood still for three hours straight just why they heard the word of God. They were so hungry. And then they were so moved with conviction that it drove them to desperation to, for God. So much so, for three more hours, the Bible tells us, they spent in the presence of God confessing their sins and worshiping him in there. 
Before the Lord, they made a promise, an agreement to obey and to serve him like never before and to renew that covenant and that commitment to allow God to begin to use them and to call them back up to that potential and the power that they have in him. So I pray today that that same spirit would sweep into this house today, amen, and right now.